and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a podcast for SaaS founders and product people. Our awesome guest today is Jonathan Gandalf, founder and CEO of The Juice, and we're going to talk about content curation today. This show is brought to you by Userlist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. Onboard, engage, and nurture your customers as well as marketing leads. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at useless.com slash worksheets. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, thanks for having us today. I'm excited to talk about curation and really excited to be a part of your podcast. Amazing. I can hear how the we language is so embedded in your ethos that you're, <laughs> you're starting with that today. Yeah, it's uh, something we do a lot. Is, uh, <laughs> we've got a small but mighty team. I always tell them this has been an exercise for me in hire smart people and get out of their way. So that's what I try to do. I try to hire and then I, we all do the work. And uh, so far it's working and we're having a lot of fun. So please share with our listeners what The Jews does, how long have you been out, and as a human, what you have been up for before that. Yeah, so The Juice is a content curation platform for B2B professionals. So we have over 100,000 resources that we've aggregated, organized, and then we curate for individual B2B professionals who sign up for our platform. What that means for brands that distribute content through our platform is that we're a modern distribution channel. If their content is in that library of 100,000 resources, they can select content to feature, they can select the audience for that content, and then our platform plays matchmaker for them. So it's a dual-sided business. We have individual professionals signing up for the platform and then brands distributing content through the platform. So prior to the juice, I've had a little bit of a wandering career journey. I started my career, fortunately, at Exact Target, which was an email marketing platform based out of Indianapolis here. I was on several different teams and ended up on the team that was how we used our own software as the data manager. So Pre-campaign, I would set up data within our platform and then post-campaign, analyze that data and try to improve and iterate our campaigns into the future. That company was acquired by Salesforce, which was really awesome. It's what's become Salesforce's marketing cloud. I stayed through the acquisition and was enjoying that, but had an accidental entrepreneurial journey that became uh, too real, too big, and too fast. It all happened. I left Salesforce to start a craft brewery with four friends in Cincinnati. So there we took it from pre-revenue to about $10 million in annual revenue from zero to 50, almost 50 employees. Had a ton of fun. I ended up leading the marketing team there, but in the early days did everything from marketing, ops, event planning, bartending, bathroom cleaning, floor scrubbing. Really enjoyed that entrepreneurial journey. And then didn't want to make a career of the beer industry. So I ended up jumping back into software at a company in Indianapolis called Springbuck that does healthcare analytics. I led the inside sales or sales development team and the marketing team there. At that business, we had the same kind of content marketing challenge I had felt at Exact Target, which was you produce really great content, but if the audience doesn't grow or evolve, you hit a law of diminishing returns. And then you just end up producing content for content's sake. Prior to the call, you and I were discussing a little bit. I think you called it the content treadmill. I've sometimes referred to it as the content hamster wheel, where you just feel like you're in this vicious cycle of creating content all the time. And it just felt like there was such an opportunity to curate 
content. Everything else we do as consumers is curated for us, whether it's movies, music, TV, fashion, news, real estate. You open up a website or you open up a platform and the right thing is curated for you based off your profile, your interests, and what people like you have found. But that hadn't happened in the professional space. And so that's the problem I wanted to solve. I joined forces with High Alpha Venture Studio here in Indianapolis, and uh, we launched the product last August. We started building a team prior to that, and we're having a lot of fun building it. And it's been so fun to solve this problem that I have faced throughout my B2B marketing journey. Yeah, congrats on tackling that problem that's not so easy, easily solved by throwing money at it. You know, everybody wants quality eyeballs for their content, but that's not very easily and linearly scaled. So do you feel like you're solving this with a software solution or is it more like a human sales and, uh, you know, a band of curators solution? Like, is it human powered or software powered? It is software powered. I have to give credit again to our team who's built really powerful software. I mean, the first really big challenge was just aggregating all of this content, right? And we found a way to do that through our software. And then it's okay, we've aggregated, we've got all the content. How do we organize it? Okay, we came up with a process for that. We've partnered with G2, who some of our listeners might be familiar with. We lean into their categories to help organize our content. And then the last stage of that is curation, right? And that is, again, that's software powered. Um, we say, we call it right now, it doesn't feel like it to our users, which is good, but what we say what we do right now is lightweight curation. That's going to grow into the future. We're going to add layers of data science onto that, some machine learning onto that. And that's where we're investing a lot of our energy and resources right now is now that we, we've proven we can aggregate, we've proven we can organize that curation can just keep getting better and better. Not only as our software gets better, but as our user base grows, uh, we'll get smarter about trends, what people are searching for, what they're engaging with, and that'll power the software as well. So you're going to build a mini Google that marketers will go to in order to find quality resources. <laughs> there, is, there is some truth to that. I actually, during demo, when I'm talking to investors or prospects, a lot of times I'll, I'll pull up a very personal example. As I was working on our first pitch deck, I went to Google and search pitch deck, right? And you're not getting good pitch deck content. You're getting ads. You're getting content from the people with the deepest pockets. And then you're getting content that's written to specifically gamify the Google algorithm. Quality isn't always good. A lot of times that content specifically not written for human consumption. Then I'll go, I'll jump into our platform and I'll do the exact same search and it's just high quality content from high quality brands. And I'll do that a lot of times, like on the fly, I'll ask a prospect, like, what, what do you think your buyers are searching for? And I'll go do the search in Google and then I'll go do the search on our platform. And uh, that's an aha moment for a lot of our prospects. We had a fantastic episode with uh, John Doherty a few months ago here. Basically, his recommendation was to never build a marketplace. And <laughs> and then the second best advice was to have a leg up on one of the sides. So you're serving both businesses and humans as consumers. Where do you feel you have a leg up and where the primary effort lies? For us as a team, we all believe, we all know that the business will grow as our user base grows or the, the professional grows. So we really try to prioritize that experience for, we call them members of our platform, member experience, member growth, member engagement. Those are all of our kind of North stars for the business. We sit in the room a lot as a team and, you know, we'll have competing, we're a small team. We all have competing priorities, just like any early stage business. 
and we'll have to say, okay, do we prioritize the thing that's better for the member or do we prioritize the thing that's better for the brand? And it's tricky because we monetize through the brand side, but we know the member side is what will drive. It's the leading indicator for revenue traction. So they're intense conversations, I would say, intense debates. I won't call them arguments, but we'll call them debates, healthy debates. And I do think there's some healthy tension. It, It forces our team to really think about and really articulate the problem and the benefit that we're solving as opposed to just saying, oh, let's do it. It's like, well, there's trade-off on the other side of the business. So those conversations are uh, difficult in a really healthy way. And we always end up kind of uh, really proud of where we've ended up. And honestly, looking back on some of those conversations, I think they're the most fun conversations as well as probably the most impactful to the business. Well, rest assured that even if you didn't have two sides of the marketplace, it would still be a balancing game of resources for any startup. So that is just so happens. You have also two sides to the discussion. Yeah, I always we talk about it as a team. It's a fun challenge, but it's also a fun opportunity that we have. It's interesting that you curate content that's coming from brands. And I don't even hear the word authors or individual like content creators. How come? Do you only believe that content can come out of brands like Pockets or is there even place to individual authors? So we have on our platform, we have almost 30,000 authors. We call them content creators. As part Mm -hmm. of that aggregation and organization that we do, we're tagging the author or creator where applicable. And then we're organizing around creators as well. So it is most certainly a part of what we believe in. We, We think people buy from people increasingly. And that's actually why we've exposed these creator pages on our platform. But we try to to the to our best uh, abilities really focus on the content that's going to even buy individual creators that is going to help our audience our users our members grow their career professional development purposes thought leadership educational entertainment so we we've really tried to anchor around that and again we just don't think it's happened in the b2b content space there's there's a ton of platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn if you want to go follow an individual and get their perspective and and their opinions and maybe pictures of their kids and all of that stuff too. There's platforms where you can do that. We we really make the center of our universe their content and thus branded content as well. We got together today to talk about curation, but it's it's one part of a bigger problem, which is content distribution. Would you reiterate for our listeners why content distribution is equally important, if not more important than creating content itself? The B2B buying journey is incredibly complex. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. You see statistics. I think there's varying statistics from varying companies. You know, Most B2B buyers are 60% through their buying process when they engage with a vendor. Or uh, G2 actually released a study last year that said vendors typically engage a salesperson like 60% of the time, the prospect that they're talking to has actually already made their purchasing decision. They're just trying to go through the process now. And now you're starting to see things arise like product-led growth where there is no sales team. So all of that to say, all of the decision-making is often happening without the brand involved or the vendor, an, an individual from the vendor involved. People are better equipped to do their own research, do their own education, and make their own decision. And so content is just such a major part of that. And I don't think anybody is saying, I wish I had more content from this brand. 
I wish I had more content in my inbox, but they're struggling to find the right content at the right time in the format they prefer. And I think brands spend, you know, I would argue 80, 90% of their content efforts creating content and so much less time thinking about how they can curate content for the right people at the right time. And so that's, I think if, if brands could better balance that and, you know, spend 50% of their resources creating content, the other 50%, you know, thinking through the buying process, thinking about how to meet people where they're already at, I think the entire content marketing program would be so much more effective. What's your personal definition of content curation per se? It sounds like the marketing holy grail, and I, I hope it doesn't sound cliche, but I think it's about finding the right audience at the right time in the right format. I think we've been talking about doing that in B2B marketing since I've been in it in 2010. That's kind of why I built the business that we were building is I felt like too often, I, I share an anecdote. I'm a bit all over the place on this one, but we treat B2B content like the way we used to sell cars. You used to sell a car by parking it in your front yard and placing a for sale sign on it and hoping the right traffic drove by. That's what we do in B2B content. We put content on our website and we hope the right traffic drives by our website, right? Why aren't we going out and finding the audience, finding the right audience at the right time? Now, if you want to sell a car, what's the first thing you do? You go to CarMax, you go to Auto Trader, and you post your car for sale there. If you have a green Pontiac Grand Am, you're going to post that car. And you're gonna, it's going to be distributed with people who are specifically looking for and interested in a green Pontiac Grand Am. I don't, I don't even think they make those cars anymore. I don't know why I chose that example. But so why can't we do that with professional resources? We're spending, again, all of these efforts. I think $125 billion in 2021 spent by B2B CMOs on content. And 60 to 70% of all B2B content actually goes completely unused. So like why we're spending all these resources, why isn't there something that can better share our resources with the right audience? I, I think the owned marketing channels are great, but I think there's an opportunity to build a better uh, aggregator and curator. So you run a curation platform that you're a dedicated place where people can go and find curated content. What are other use cases where content curation takes place? There are three main use cases we talk about as a team. One is professional development. I want to be better at my job. I want to learn. I want to continually learn. I don't want to get stuck in the day-to-day -day weeds, not learning and growing. You come to our platform, you're going to see what your peers are reading. You're going to see things that are specifically curated for you, your job role, your job function, your job level, and your industry. So professional development ongoing. The other one is purchasing decision. So you need to make a purchasing decision, right? Maybe you're evaluating account-based marketing vendors or sales automation tools, and you don't want to go to their website because a lot of times on a brand's website, there are hooks. Maybe you're not ready to jump into the sales process yet, but you want to do kind of your self-education. And that's the second use case. The third one broadly is research, like via search. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but the Google search is, I would argue, a little bit broken for professional resources. And search can mean any number of things. It could be market research. We've actually heard several times, and this is not why we built the platform, but it makes sense. Competitive Intel research is happening on our platform. But I would say just broadly, the search experience is that third use case. Interesting. I had another mm, application in mind is where somebody can use curated content in other marketing situations. For instance, a brand could send out a newsletter 
with curated content. Or they can populate their social media feed, not with their own content just, but also with some other helpful things. Maybe some other creative use cases that we're not thinking about. I would say I can tell yourself and user list are savvy marketers because I think that's a really, really savvy, like next level use case of, okay, not what does this not only mean for my own brand and my own content, but like, how do I start to understand the content universe that we live within and see who the, who the authors are that I should collaborate with, who are the brands that we should collaborate with and we should reshare their content. I think that's a really, really savvy use case for the curation experience. It's not, the idea is not mine. There's, uh, I totally don't remember the name, but uh, the newsletter platform that made this super easy to curate uh, like top five links of the week and, and send them out. And that was like 10 years ago. I completely don't remember the name. Uh, so <laughs> it's not new under the sun. <laughs> it's funny. We actually do something similar every week. We do the top five sales resources and top five marketing resources, and people can follow those and uh, have those sent to their email as well. So uh, there's something to that. So as curators, uh, you collaborate with brands. Mm, let's say there is uh, an entry point check when you make sure they generally produce fine things. But mm -hmm. then again, as they continue pumping content into your platform, how do you ensure it stays fine? And also, if even great brands still have like SEO articles, which might make like leak into your platform, that wouldn't be delightful to read. So what do you do? The first thing I'll say is part of our aggregation process, we do have a part software, part services built into that. We call it a human in the loop that is doing QA check on content in our platform. So they're looking for things like things that are blatantly like have spelling errors in the title or are the wrong format or are a bad link. And then we've also built in some heuristics around things like product release notes or this company, hey, they posted their blog. We just raised $20 million, like kind of patting themselves on the back. We really want to focus on content that's educational, informational, and entertaining. And so we've, we've built some heuristics into our aggregation engine that automatically filters some of those things out. But then the last thing I'll say to kind of address your, you know, there are some sneaky tactics of putting SEO content on your blog or, or content that maybe isn't just high quality. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy on our, on our platform. You know, if, you, if you're writing low quality content, uh, people aren't going to be engaging with it. People won't engage with it. And then that, that engagement is partially what drives the curation across our platform, right? So just like when you listen to music on Spotify, you know, the popular with section isn't going to have low quality music or bad music because that music just doesn't get engaged with on the platform. So uh, there's a little bit of a like self-fulfillment there or natural selection, but we also have it built into the actual software and process as well. What do you do to define those top five in sales and top five in marketing? Is it purely algorithmic or is it humanly curated? It is right now that is purely driven off of human engagement. And there's different ways you can engage with content on our platform. You can save it to your library. You can favorite it. You can click, read, watch, listen. You can share it. And so all those different human behaviors have different weighting in our algorithm. But the top five is specifically driven by human engagement. Last year at UI Breakfast, we interviewed Drew Riley of Trans.VC, who is famous for publishing trans reports and pretty extensive ones. So 
the way they do it, they find an expert and do truly like human way of learning about trans and knowledge and, and things. Do you do anything around trans? Because trans are an interesting topic. Like you, you can't really go on Google and find a trend, but you would happily consume content about it. So what do you do in this direction? We're getting ready to launch a monthly trends report. We're actually going to do a separate podcast series where every month we look at the top five pieces of content from the platform and see what trends are there. Uh, and then also trends across our platform. So like we are noticing right now a rise in content related to budgeting, you know, how to build a demand generation plan on a budget or how to build an annual budget. Budgeting is top of mind, right? We're, we're noticing this rise in budgeting. So we're going to talk about trends like that that we're seeing and how marketers can create content around those. There's a ton of data we're gathering from our platform. We're getting ready to share a lot of that outward and externally as well. Could you share some metrics? Just curious, like what's the total number of content items that gets added to the juice every month, for example? I'm not sure on every month, and it's somewhat uh, driven by customer behavior as well. We have over 100,000 total resources, over 600 brands. We're adding about 100 brands a quarter right now, and it's partially driven by you know their publication schedule. Are they publishing once a week, once a month? five times a week. So there, it comes in waves. Uh, and then we have over 6,500 users on the platform as well. I'm curious, your target audience is marketers. And do you feel that you have chosen a hard battle for yourself because marketers are like seeing through everything between the lines? Really, like very hard audience to target in my books. That's a great question. Marketers are, they know all the tricks. They can be cynical you're not going to fool them or trick them. We chose sales and marketing. So it is sales and marketing. Our platform's about, our user base is about 60% marketers, 30% sales, and 10% other. We chose that initial audience to target because of two reasons. One, that is also who our buyer is. So we felt like having a good overlap between our who our user is and who our, our buyer is on the brand side would be beneficial for us. The other reason we chose that is because we think sales and marketers inherently share content more regularly than developers or finance. But there are also some trade-offs there. And you're exactly right. I think those people are also can be more cynical and, and a little bit more difficult to attract because again, they, they know all the, the tools of the trade. That's a good challenge for us though, too, right? Like we're not, we're not looking to trick people. We don't want to trick people, but uh, they'll call us out on our BS if necessary. You use machine learning and algorithms to determine the winners to be like included in your lineups. What are the methods that a human can use to curate a content lineup for their own audience? Like, how do you do it manually? Sounds silly and sounds obvious, but go talk to your buyer, your customers, your prospects, your employees. That was the very first thing I did when we were starting the juice. I went and I talked to a hundred marketers in a hundred days and just asked them about their pain points, asked them, you know, uh, what tools are they currently using? What tools are they using that are working? What tools are they using that aren't working? Uh, if they had a magic wand, what would they change? I asked them about their pain points. And then I was always, always persistent about asking two follow-up questions. 
And I think if you ask somebody what their greatest pain point is, you get something very surface level. Oh, my, my, I don't have enough time in the day. Great. Ask them one follow-up question and you'll start to understand why they don't have enough time in the day. If you ask a third follow-up question, I think you start to get like a very emotional and like visceral reaction to pain point. Then that's something you can really dig into and, and kind of pick that scab a little bit. That was huge for us. And I think if you're a marketer and you're trying to figure out where to curate content into your buying process or what content to curate for your buyers, you got to go talk to them. And it sounds obvious. I have not done a good enough job throughout my career of doing that because I'm busy and there's so many other priorities. But when I actually prioritized that, it was an eye-opening experience. You know, Socratic questioning involves like five whys, not just three or two. So that That's, would, that would be deep. <laughs> yes, I think you'd have some people in like tears explaining why they don't have enough time in their day or something. So I'm assuming that works great for figuring out the topics they need to learn about. But how about actually finding good content resources out there? I like one startup comes to mind is Spark Toro by Rand Fishkin. Mm -hmm. uh, they have accumulated the knowledge base of things people read. Mm -hmm. Any other places I recall there were tools. Mm, that could find like best shared and best clicked content on web. I totally don't remember the names, but maybe you know some. I'm biased. I would say go to app.thejuicehq.com. Um, I, I think that's, <laughs> that's part of the, the gap we want to solve is understanding what your peers are reading, what's trending in your space, in your category. I am familiar with SparkToro. We've actually talked to them quite a bit and big fan of what they're doing. I think they do it more from the like influencer and audience side and what we're doing with content are very complimentary. G2 comes to mind. That's a, again, somebody we've formally partnered with, but if you're looking for user reviews or something along those lines, you know, G2, Captera, TrustRadius, all of those are really good resources as well. I'm super curious how you collaborated with GQ, to be honest. Like, I can't imagine. They're a pretty enterprisey platform for brutal software reviews. What did you do with them? Yeah, so we, in the very early days, we said, okay, so we've aggregated all this content. Now we need to organize it somewhere, right? And we can either spend a lot of time and energy building our own taxonomy for how we organize content, and we're going to have to update that into the future and on and on and on. We said, well, why don't we lean into something that already exists? And so we use their taxonomy to categorize brands on our platform. Oh, uh, and we okay. plug into their that API to do that. Yeah. So uh, we have category pages on our platform. You can visit the account-based marketing category and you'll see brands, creators, and content that are popular in that category and see all of that in one place. And actually, so their team, very enterprise, their team has been fantastic to work with. We formally launched category pages in collaboration with them. Their primary audience is sales and marketing as well. So there's a lot of overlap in audience and in some of our messaging even as well. Anything else on the topic that I've completely like not covered and you'd like to touch on? You don't have to. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, just in case there is like a pressing topic that I completely uh, left out yeah. or a super interesting point you touched on is organizing that content in categories and taxonomies and things like that. What other challenges that are completely not obvious for outside eyes uh, that you had to solve while building the juice? I would say the marketplace dynamic that we talked about a little bit. I'm actually really excited to go back and listen to that podcast. I've done a lot of research about 
the cold start problem. You know, when you're starting from scratch and there are two sides, how do you grow both at the same time? Some people call that chicken versus egg. Andrew Chin, who's a famous growth professional from Uber, Facebook, I believe as well. He's now at A16Z. He wrote a book called The Cold Start Problem. He says, if you have a chicken or egg problem, buy the chicken. You know, you have to find that side that you can efficiently grow. So I think marketplaces in general are just fascinating. They're really attractive because you can find a way to solve two problems at once, but extremely challenging. And then because you mentioned it in the question, you said organizing by category. There is a unique thing that happens in content marketing. You know, an account-based marketing brand who we've categorized in that category, account-based marketing, they might write a piece of content about how to have the best sales kickoff or something. The topic they write isn't always aligned with the category they're in. And I think that can be good. And I think there's there's companies that do that well, but that, that creates a unique uh, challenge for our platform. So we're actually working on Right now, we have category level organization. We're as our data science and ML gets better, we're going to start doing topic level as well. And that's that's just kind of a funny thing. Is like, oh shoot, we ran into that, and we're like, yeah, we're going to have to solve for that because that it happens with enough regularity that it needs a solution. Do you track、uh, reader engagement on articles, or you actually don't have? Because I think you link to articles directly, so the users can consume it in their native environment. And the question probably is not applicable because if you were Google, you could probably go and track that engagement. But do you track anything beyond click-through rate? So our platform does not. You're exactly right, and this is why our platform is great for marketers, is because we end up pointing our traffic back to their channel. So once one of our users clicks read, watch, or listen, they go back to the marketer's owned channel. So you're right. We can't track them beyond that. Now we have worked with our customers, and our customers have found that the average visitor from the Juice is spending three x the amount of time engaging with their content, time on site. As an average website visitor for them, so it speaks to our audience's high quality, and they're engaged once they get to your website, and it should be a new relevant audience for our customers as well. You present the content in different formats and channels, so people can browse it through the app UI. You're sending out newsletter updates. I'm pretty sure you have active social media feeds or whatever you do there.、Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm missing out on others. What? What are the most successful and、uh, productive channels for you? I would say the newsletter channel, email channel, and it's a.、Uh, it's funny. I, I started my career in email marketing in 2010, and I remember people saying, "Email, email is dead. Email is dying." It's still dead. Don't worry. It, yeah, it's.、Uh, for being dead, it sure is effective. But I would say the unique thing we do with our newsletter is. Users go into our platform and they select the brands and the creators they want to follow, and then they can select how often they want. Anytime those brands or creators publish new content, our users can select: Do they want a daily digest of new content from those brands and creators they follow? Weekly, monthly, how many pieces of content? Our users completely control that digest, and then the open rate on that digest is forty nine percent. Which is extremely high in the B two B space.、Uh, Click through rate five percent, also very high for the B two B space. So that's proven to be a channel that is extremely valuable to our users and thus valuable to us and our customers as well. 
I couldn't keep up with your newsletters. I unsubscribed. There was too much, too much good content. I couldn't keep up. I really appreciate RSS as a, as a channel, but unfortunately it seems like not very popular thing. But I'd love to mention that Substack newsletters, everyone, every newsletter has an RSS feed. Mm -hmm. Probably not everybody knows that. It's a great way to follow newsletters without having to get them in your inbox, <laughs> full inbox. I'm a big fan of Substack as well. And we're actually looking at how do we pull in like, like newsletters for brands as well. So if a brand like UserList has a newsletter, how do we let our users subscribe directly to UserList newsletter if they'd like from within our platform? That's a solution we're currently exploring. You would be surprised, but industry insiders are suspicious of Substack because they're <laughs> too awesome, too free, and basically it's going somewhere. Like when platforms become too good and too free, it doesn't go to good yep. places. But let's see where things go. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always the trick. Eventually they'll have to monetize somehow. As we're wrapping up today's episode, what would be one do and one don't for our listeners when it comes to content curation? Do spend time talking to customers, buyers, prospects, internal employees. We as marketers and content marketers specifically, we get on that content treadmill and so focused on creating content. Okay, that piece of content's done. What do I do next? It sounds obvious. I know it's not revelationary like feedback or recommendations, but set like prioritize it. I was so fortunate to have the opportunity in the early day to prioritize those 100 conversations in 100 days. And it was foundational to how we built our platform, how we built our software, our own content efforts. Uh, I would encourage everyone to stop and spend the time doing that. The way you phrase it, 100 conversations in 100 days, it's almost like a hero's journey kind of setup that you've had for yourself. <laughs> At least the, the numbers look nice. Somebody else in the Venture Studio model had said uh, they were, the Venture Studio had said they were really impressed because they had talked to like 60 or 70 people, potential buyers in the first 100 days. I am overly competitive. And I said, well, I can do better than that. Why don't we just do 100 in 100 days? And uh, you don't, I, I'm not encouraging everybody to do 100 conversations, but I think, you know, over the course of a quarter, prioritize 10 uh, or something like that. And, and you'll start to see trends pretty early on uh, that I think will make your content marketing efforts uh, that much more valuable. About a year ago, we did a round of research and I did like 20 plus conversations in a month. And trust me, that month I didn't get much else done. It was it was tangibly mm -hmm. much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I would guess that made your following months that much more productive. Oh, definitely. It fueled the next like year or two of our yeah, roadmap. So, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. One more follow-up question. Just as a personal question from a content creator, now that you observe so much content... What would your advice be when it comes to creating good content that is in demand, not just for, for Google? Since you asked a personal question, I, I'm, this is probably a little bit of a personal answer. I, my background in marketing is data, which is a little bit unique. I think a lot of people get into marketing from the brand or creative side. And I push our own team a lot, like, you know, in our own content, what data are we including? I, I think if you don't have, I, I think just, including data, and especially if it's data from your own kind of proprietary data, either from your platform or from your customers or something like that. I just think that takes the strength of content. I think even if it's 
God forbid, if it's poorly written content, but the data is good, <laughs> I think I, I think it's valuable content, right? But I don't think you could say it's the same if, the, if it's poorly written content without data. Like I think that's low quality and not very engaging. So there are brands out there that do a really nice job including data in their content. And that's something we're always striving to do a better job of. That reminds me of a great episode we did a few weeks ago about survey-based research projects. It's something where you can generate that data that can be mm -hmm. fantastic for, you know, generating organic backlinks and other things naturally, not, uh, not, pay, not in the paid fashion. <laughs> Absolutely. Gong is a brand that's really leaned into this and does an incredible job, including sales call data in their content. And that's, that's one we reference often that we're going to be rolling out more data from our platform as well. Thank you so much for sharing industry insights and your wisdom today. Where can people find uh, yourself personally and the juice online? Yeah, myself, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and then also Twitter, uh, JD Gandalf. That's where I rant about marketing and post pictures of my dog and my drinks and some sports stuff. So that's uh, maybe a little bit of a combination of different interests, but uh, always happy to connect there in LinkedIn. And then to see the platform for yourself, it's free for all of your listeners to sign up, app.thejuicehq.com. You create your profile and then our software will immediately start curating content for you. So that'll, again, can help you with your professional development journey, can help you if you're making a purchasing decision, or it can just be a better search experience. So I'd love for everyone to go, go check it out. Thank you once again, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Thanks for listening. You can find a written recap for this episode at userless.com slash podcast. Please help us grow by leaving a review on iTunes.